Lord, thanks for the Bible. Thank you that you um, didn't just leave us with a kind of word of mouth thing, but you, you made sure that it got recorded. Um, and it speaks of your unchanging nature. And it speaks of the fact, Lord, that you're not going to undo what you've done, but you have loved us concretely at the cross once and for all. And we know about it, Lord, through the working of your spirit in our heart, but also through the truth in the, in the book. And I want to thank you for the book. And I want to pray, Lord, that as we look at it today, some wonders will come out of it that would change our lives. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, Jesus seemed to enjoy spending time with children, outcasts, and idiots. And um, I wanted to substantiate that from the Bible. Um, last week was children. If you didn't hear it, it was a blinding sermon. <laughs> Download it. Um, I wouldn't often say that about my own sermons, but every now and then you're, you're preaching it, you're thinking, I'd love to be sitting on a chair hearing this. And uh, it was one of those weeks. So um, download it, really, really cool. Um, outcasts, he, 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 the, one of the reasons he was so controversial was the people that he hung around with. He hung around with people that the religious people described as sinners, um, tax collectors who were generally corrupt and working for the invading force, the Romans. Um, he, hung, he um, hung around with those who were socially outcasts. He would touch those with leprosy and other things like this. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't mainstream in that sense. Um, people that were viewed as rejects and on the sidelines of society would find a receptive heart in Jesus. He loved those kinds of people. And idiots. Well, if you look at the disciples for just a few minutes, it's very encouraging. Two of his closest disciples tried to burn down a city because it wouldn't receive the gospel. Didn't they? James and John said, well, shall we call fire down from heaven, Lord? Jesus was like, nah. <laughs> you, you missed it. Um, Peter went on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus' glory is suddenly revealed and it's like, wow, his clothes were went bright white and suddenly it was obvious this is really the son of God and then Jesus was having a conversation with apparitions of Moses and Elijah what does Peter say? let's make three tents one for you Jesus one for Moses one for Elijah it just gets ignored <laughs> it's not even a response uh, God just comes in like a cloud and says listen to Jesus he's, he's my son it's just a great moment you think well, I mean I probably would have said that I mean, what would you have said? You know, but there's just this sense of, let's make three tents, as if, like, they really need tents at the moment. We've got the Son of God in all of his glory um, being manifest, and Moses and Elijah, the, you know, kind of, Mo Elijah taken up in a chariot of fire, didn't even see death, and, um, and, and Moses, well, he seems to have died, but no one knows where he was buried, and Peter's like, well, should we do some camping? It's like, what are you, I mean, what are you thinking? Just a great, you just think, oh, it's great. Peter tried to stop Jesus going to the cross, the very reason that he came. He said, no, you mustn't do it, Lord. The very reason Jesus was born ultimately was to be crucified for our sins. Peter said, no, 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 don't do that, Lord, don't. don't. He just they didn't get it. But Jesus bore with them, stuck with them, and enjoyed being around them. I love the disciples because they make me feel like, oh, yeah, I can do this. I can follow Jesus after all. You know that feeling? Well, you feel like you've got to be an expert, you've got to have it all sewn up, and then you read about the disciples and you think, it's all right. I can follow Jesus. Jesus was accused of being a, a glutton and accused of being a drunkard because he would, he would um, go to parties with people that were sinful. So there probably would be a lot of drunkenness going on and Jesus was there. 
and didn't seem to have a problem with it. So they started to accuse him, the religious people, he's a, he's a glutton and he's a drunkard. And so there was this kind of unusual man and yet there were these rumours of such amazing miracles, of such amazing miracles. Thousands of rumours. Sick bodies healed, tormented minds relieved. I want to just focus there for just a second, but I just feel there's people here today who you describe your thought life at the moment as just tormented, you'd be like, just, listen, Jesus brings peace. That's what he does, he's the prince of peace. He brings peace to our minds. Rumours of broken lives restored, even on occasion the dead raised. And so there was this mix of this man who... He, he, he didn't do things that some kind of spiritual healer should do. He was hanging around with the misfits, the outcasts. His, his, his closest followers were wallies. And yet there's this raw power. There's these there's paralytic people, people that have never walked, dancing around. There's this, and it's like, it's together. It's together. And it's what God's like, and it's what... God's kingdom is like, but he's, a, he's an enigma. He didn't fit the messianic psychological profile, so they killed him. Because they thought they could stop him if they killed him. They didn't realise that he came to die. That's what he came for. It's all part of the plan. He came to die and be judged in our place on the cross so that we wouldn't have to be judged anymore. And then he rose from the dead, which we're going to look at in two weeks' time, on Easter Sunday, so that we, but he rose from the dead so that in him we could live forever. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we can't live forever. The Bible says he's the first fruit. He's gone before us. But because we're in him, joined to him through faith, we get to live forever as well. It's all based on what Christ has done. And then he ascended back into heaven to return to the Father in triumph. And then he poured out the Holy Spirit on 120 scared disciples, locked away in a room, scared for their life, not knowing what to do next. Within 100 years, the whole of the known world had received the message of this crucified man. And many, many were worshipping the carpenter from Nazareth. What an extraordinary Jesus we've got. What a message. What a gospel. But I want to ask the question before we get into today's passage. Why did Jesus enjoy the company of children, outcasts and idiots? I think the answer is simple. I think it's because when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, we're all children, outcasts and idiots. And so if you acknowledge that, you're being authentic. And Jesus loves authenticity. Whereas if you pretend you're not, you pretend that somehow, you know, you're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mature now. You know? <laughs> or I'm, I'm actually quite clever. And I feel offended that this man should suggest I'm an idiot. I feel quite clever and the Lord has blessed me with a sizable brain. <laughs> it's not as big as his. And I think as compared to him, he, he, I mean, I just think sometimes, you know, people that come out with these amazing theories about this, that and the other, and I'm sure some of them are true and good and right, I'm sure they are, and it's a blessing from God, but I, I can't help but think that God kind of just tries not to laugh a bit as well as they're talking, you know, just thinks, oh, bless them, you know. <laughs> they've seen some things, but, you know, there's a few things that I haven't seen yet, and it's just how it is. And those who think they're in the in crowd and they're number one and they're right in the thick of it, well, you know, to be in is to be in with God, isn't it? That's to be in. And so I think that the Lord really just locked someone up and they needed some help. It was the hypocrites that Jesus nailed. It was the religiously superior that Jesus really tore into. You want to see a different side of Jesus? You read Matthew 23. He just lets rip on the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and it's not polite. Because these were the people that thought they, were, they, they made it spiritually. And so Jesus just lets rip on those. But today's character we're going to see really fits the bill regarding the kind of person that Jesus liked. His name's Bartimaeus. 
And I'm going to read to you from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 46. Now remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be killed. That's what we're doing. These two weeks, last week and this week, we're looking at people Jesus met on his way to Jerusalem to be killed. Next week, Palm Sunday, we'll look at the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then the week after that, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Mark 10, 46. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now today I want to look at the exchange between Bartimaeus and Jesus, pull out some lessons from Bartimaeus in terms of what we can apply, and some lessons from Jesus. But it's a great little moment, um, it's a great exchange, it's a great dialogue, and I just want to just pull out some stuff there. If you go to the old town in um, Marrakesh, Morocco, you go to the um, old town there, you find the seven blind beggars of Marrakesh. And take my word for it, they're not a pretty sight. There's these seven old men, they sit, they sit in line together, they're blind, and uh, they just with their little pots, shaking their pots. And it's quite a haunting, almost medieval picture um, as these very, very old men with creased and weathered skin and um, ragged clothes sit there in a row, shaking their tins with um, just clearly either just whites of their eyes or nothing there. And... Um, it's, it's, a, it, it's helpful to understand that because Bartimaeus would not have been a pretty sight. There were no benefits in those days. If you couldn't work, you, you couldn't just claim incapacity benefit. There was no such thing. You were either looked after by your family or you begged. And so Bartimaeus was a, he was a beggar. He would have sat by the dusty roadside on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem day in, day out. Just rattling his pot or whatever, calling out for a shekel from passing businessmen on their way from Jericho. To Jerusalem. That was his life. That was what, how he would have lived, day in and day out. But on this day, there was a commotion. You don't have to be able to see with your eyes to be able to get a feel for an atmosphere, do you? And there's a commotion. It's hustle. It's bustle. It's louder than normal. And somehow or the other, Bartimaeus gets wind of the fact that it's Jesus of Nazareth. You see, you've got to understand, Jesus had an itinerant ministry. He, he travelled around, partly because he was being chased a lot of the time, but partly because he wanted to bless the different towns and villages in the area. And so he'd kind of travel really around a country the size of around sort of Wales. That was his kind of ministry moving around. And so people would have heard of Jesus, and, and Bartimaeus definitely clearly had heard of him. And suddenly he gets wind of the fact that he's passing by. Now this is the man who can walk on water. They say he, they say he turned water into wine at a wedding. So he's not just miraculous, he's controversial. He raised the dead of um, a poor widow up in the village of Nain. She had no, she had no husband and her, her, her only son died early 
Tragically, Jesus raised, raised him in the middle of the funeral procession. She would have heard, he, Bartimaeus would have heard these stories. It's the same Jesus of Nazareth, but perhaps more excitingly of all, this is the one who he opens the eyes of the blind. And so what does Bartimaeus do? He begins to cry out, and it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I deliberately tried to shout when I was reading, but I probably didn't even convey the sense of embarrassment and impropriety. This wasn't like, uh, 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 Jesus, um, I say. It wasn't like that. It was embarrassing. That's why people started to rebuke him. In fact, it says many rebuked him. They thought, oh, this it, stop it. You know when someone does something in public and you think, stop it? You've been around that. You think, no, it's not the moment for that. Yeah? And you get all funny and all hot under the collar. It's one of those moments. It's like, oh, you're embarrassing. But man, you know? People didn't like it. It was, it was. I mean, it would have, I mean, he wouldn't have been able to, he wouldn't have known where in the crowd Jesus was. You've got this crowd passing by, he's probably aiming it over there, aiming it over. He doesn't know is he in the front, he doesn't know. He's just shouting. You've got to get a feel for the fact of what it's like to be blind. There's no orientation in terms of where, who's where in the crowd. He knows there's a crowd, he knows there's a buzz, he's heard that it's something to do with Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus may be in the crowd. It's like he would have been shouting here, shouting over there. And as soon as he lets rip to really reach out to Jesus, the disapproving voices pipe up. Shh! He's too busy for you. That kind of thing. Just accept your lot, all right? I'll give you a shekel. That kind of thing. would have been going on. Oh, just Bartimaeus. Give him some pieces to teach you. Why is he going to stop and look at you? Whenever you start to cry out to Jesus, this always happens. Whenever you get hungry for Jesus and begin to go after him, the disapproving voices begin to pipe up. I can guarantee it. It's very predictable. Whether it's family whether it's friends, whether it's spouse, whether it's colleagues, whether it's boss, whether it's parents, or whether it's just imagination, just thoughts in your mind, oh, this is ridiculous, oh, Jesus isn't going to hear me. And whether it's unintentional or intentional, I can guarantee this is what happens, and it's the voice of respectability. It's the voice that says, no, you've just gone too far this time, you're being ridiculous, you're being irrational, just calm it down, everything will, everything will pan out okay. Imagine if Bartimaeus had listened to that. Oh, everything's going to pan out. Oh, it's fine. Okay, fine. I'm not sure that it would have panned out. I mean, I'm sure for the rest of his life he could have justified it. Well, this is probably my lot. You know, God's sovereign. I'm probably, you know, probably just, he's calling on my life. It doesn't seem that it was. And this voice of respectability can come in religious clothing. For example, like I just said, don't, you know, come on, don't go too crazy. You haven't got to shout. God's not deaf, you know. God's sovereign. He knows. You haven't got to tell him. Just, just, just be mature about this. It can come in all kinds of different guises. Can you spiritual phrases, worldly phrases, whatever shape it comes in, it kills faith. It kills faith. It creates the kind of conformity that the Lord has not called you to, where you just line up. Oh, okay, fine. Oh, okay, right. I was being, sorry, I was being ridiculous, you know. That's all. It makes you think, like, I was just being over the top, got to be enthusiastic, sorry, I'll get back in line. Get back in line with the masses. What's happened there? Faith has been killed. It stops exploits with God. It, it brings a halt to adventures with God. It squeezes out dreaming with God. You just accept your lot. We'll see what God does. If God wants to do something, he'll do it without your help. You do it without your involvement. 
stops you taking new ground for Jesus. It crushes, it squashes, it oppresses, it silences, and it shuts down all real spiritual power. You see, spiritual power is raw. All you've got to do is read your Gospels to understand that being polished and measured in these things is not necessarily the heart of God. God loves a desperate soul. God loves a desperate soul. And so, so what this voice will do will just close the whole thing down if you let it. Bartimaeus doesn't let it. In fact, he cries out all the more. And the result is this. Jesus stops. He was walking to Jerusalem. The shouting's going on. The rebuking comes. The shouting gets louder. Jesus stops. These stories aren't just here for the sake of it. They're principles in there for us. It's the shout that stops Jesus. We, 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 we've been doing Alpha at the Curry House and a few weeks ago I turned up with the worst headache. I mean, it's just horrendous. I turned up and I just thought, I've got to lead a table tonight and my head is banging. And if you get headaches, you know what I'm talking about, right? You just think, don't even talk to me, turn the lights off, I'm going to curl up in a corner somewhere. I arrived and uh, I sat down and I didn't even want to have a conversation with anyone. So I went to the toilet, locked myself in the cubicle and I said, Jesus, and I very rarely pray like this, I said, Jesus, Either you heal me, or I'm going home. I just, and I wasn't trying to be funny or trying to twist God's arm. That was just how the situation actually was. Do you understand what I mean? I, I'm not trying to manipulate God. I just said, but it was desperate. I wanted to be there. I wanted to speak to my table about Jesus. I wanted to, I said, either you heal me, or I, I just can't do this. And I was healed. I don't get headaches healed. <laughs> I've had plenty of, you know, my headaches don't get healed. That's not my track record. But I was just, I just felt, even as I prayed it, I thought, this is interesting, because it's not like, Lord, it'd be really great if you could. I think often our prayers are that, aren't they? Lord, it'd be great if you could just sort out a few things here. I was like, look, here's the deal. I'm just, and, you, and I just thought, it's an interesting lesson there. There's something of, you haven't got a shout like Bartimaeus, but there's something at that point where you come, we say, God, I just need you to do this now. As you bring it before him, something happens in the spirit. Look what Jesus does. I love what Jesus does. He doesn't just stop. This is beautiful. He gets the crowd to go and call Bartimaeus. Why? He could have just said, Bartimaeus, come over here. Oh, yeah, come. He gets the, why? He gets the rebukers. <laughs> He's rebuking the rebukers. He's saying, go and get him. So they have to go along. They They go, cheer up. It's all right. It's all right. The teacher's calling you. Two minutes before, they were like, shut up. <gasps> it's fun. People are funny, aren't they? People are funny. Says, oh, Jesus, oh, yeah, no, great, yeah. He's a good guy, Bartimaeus, yeah. We'll go, at, yeah. He just, yeah, he should be prayed for too, you know. This is, we're so fickle, you know, and we just get blown this way, blown that way. And that's really what it's like. So Jesus is like, let me just put you in your place. Can you go and get Bartimaeus, please? I think, oh, what a masterstroke. So Jesus is there. He's, he's, he's humbling the proud and he's exalting the humble. That's what he does. He humbles the proud, he exalts the humble. It's kingdom principle. If you're proud, he'll, he'll, he'll see to it that you get humbled. He'll oppose you. In fact, the Bible says it's very strong language. If you're humble, genuinely just that sense of just knowing that outside of Jesus, you know, you're not that impressive, he'll exalt you. That's how it works, you see. So Jesus does this. And um, the point here, I think, really, is that, is that the disapproving voices that come, they're actually fickle. And if you listen to them and you line up with them, you've really done a wrong. Because if you press through, do you know what? Sooner or later, God will vindicate you and those voices will change. And they may change quickly, or they may change in years' time, or they may change time, or they may change on the day of judgment, but they'll change. 
So press into Jesus and do not get caught up with, well, what would people think of me if, if I really went for it? If I really did... Look, who cares? The Bible says the fear of man will prove to be a snare. It will prove to be a trap. You will find yourself ensnared if you live by the rule which says, oh, well, if they think, you know, okay, well, what will people think? And you get into that. No, Paul the Apostle says, if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You must live in the fear of the Lord. That's what Bartimaeus does. So then Bartimaeus springs up, he's before Jesus, and what happens next is strange by all accounts. Because Jesus asks Bartimaeus what he wants. Now, I think it should have done. I mean, it's clear that Bartimaeus is blind. Jesus' reputation was as a teacher and a miracle worker. Now, what does Bartimaeus want? It's obvious what he wants. But Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Why? Because he wants Bartimaeus to articulate it. And very often, if I'm with people pastorally or praying, I'll say to them first, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Because I think there's something articulating, this is why I'm coming to God now, because this is what I want him to do for me. There's something in the asking. There's something in the, the, the thing where you say, yeah, this is, what, this is what's in my heart, Lord. And don't go down the philosophy route, which says, well, God knows anyway, so there's no point. Listen, that's irrelevant. That's not how it works. That's philosophy. We know theologically that God knows everything, but when he comes, he calls us and desires us to actually just say, here's what I'm about, here's where I'm at, here's what's on my heart. God loves that. God wants us to do that. You see, prayer is cooperation with God. Prayer is working with him. It's a dynamic thing. It's not some static, philosophical thing. Oh, well, if, if you answer it, it was always going to happen anyway, so what's the point in praying? It doesn't work like that. I don't know how it works. I don't. But it doesn't work like that. I genuinely believe that prayer moves God. And somehow in his sovereignty, he is moved by our prayers and things change when we pray. There have been some teachers that have said the reason why we pray ultimately is because it changes us. Now I think there's some truth in that, absolutely. Sometimes you can come to God and say, whatever, I don't know, um, God, I really want this boyfriend or this girlfriend, I really want this particular person. And then as we're praying about it, God can work on our hearts and actually say, actually, they're not going to be that good for you. And our heart can change and we realise that was actually, yeah, thanks, you give me wisdom there, Lord. We've been changed there. But I think to say that's all that prayer does is just, you're denying many, many stories in the Bible where God was moved by people's prayers, where God says to Hezekiah, the king, you know, you've got an illness and it's going to be to death. Hezekiah cries out and weeps, God, I don't want to die yet. God responds, okay, I'll give you 15 more years. God is moved by the prayers of Hezekiah. God's moved by prayer. I believe it. So you're saying, are you, so you then might respond to me and say, so are you saying you don't believe God's totally sovereign? Yes, I do. Absolutely. So how do those two things work together? No idea. But I believe in both. That's what's revealed. And that's, so that's how I live. And, that, and it works, which I think is the point. You see, so this is why we pray. This is why every Sunday we gather around different people's homes to pray. And if you get to more than one, you realise, you might think to yourself, I'm seeing a thread here. They seem to be asking for the same things. Yeah. Why? Because Jesus said, Matthew 7, 7, keep on asking and you will receive. There's something in the perseverance. There's something that constant articulation. God, come and do it. Come and do it, I pray. And we see many, many answers to prayer, but we keep banging on for those we haven't seen yet and keep bringing in new ones. And we keep at it. Why? Because it changes things. And because God answers prayer. It's so vital that we understand and we get that into our spirit and we translate that into the way that we relate with God, that we press in and press in. 
Bible says that God wants to go way ahead of us, way ahead of our requests. Ephesians 3.21, he can do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. What's, why is Paul saying that? Is it so that we can tick the theological box which says God can do a lot? Or is it so we can begin to ask big things of God? So we can begin to pray and believe him for the things he's promised. It must be that one, mustn't it? That is how God wants us to be in prayer. We work with him. We ask. We keep going. We pour our hearts out even when we're spent. Even when we're emotionally spent and you think, I can't even think of anything more to say. You still, you might not go on a big prayer kind of thing because you're just worn out, but you just before God in your heart of hearts, you whisper, I'm still here. And I'm still after this. Even when it hurts, and sometimes it does. One of my kids has got a wart and on, on their foot and it hurts them. And um, we've been trying to sort it, it's growing, and we've been trying to sort it out, um, different squeezy things and this and the other, and we just, it's just growing. So we started praying, and one, one day I got really wound up, I said, come on, we're going to pray, come on, get mum and you're together, so the three of us, so we really prayed, I'm cursing the thing, pointing at it, shouting at it like a madman. And then uh, I said, Day- oh, <laughs> Daisy, I told you now, okay, don't talk to about a wall, okay, because you won't, I wasn't meant to say who it was, but. So please, don't say that. Don't say, how's the wall? Okay? <laughs> so <clears throat> so I, said, I said, I said, the Bible says where two or three agree, it will be done. All right? Listen, I said, the Bible says where two or three agree, it will be done. She said, I said, and we've just prayed that by the morning it'll be gone. She said, so you're saying it's going to be gone by the morning? Big moment. Big parent moment. Right? I, we've just prayed that. I said, Bible says they're trying to build faith. Where two or three agree, it will be done. She said, so will it be gone in the morning? There's two options there, isn't there? One option is I don't know. Now, I've just said to her, <laughs> the Bible says, and, I, and, it, and I, you in that split second moment, aren't you, where you think, wow, and I thought, well, what do I believe? I thought, ultimately, I believe what the Bible says. I said, yeah. It wasn't. So, have I been an irresponsible parent? I think, I think you could argue it on both fronts. You could argue if I'd said, I don't know, that I've been an irresponsible and an inconsistent parent. I've said I believe the Bible, that's what Jesus says. I don't believe there's some deeper meaning there. I believe it says what it says. You haven't got to be, that's what it says. You could argue it either way. So what do we do? So the other night, Daisy said, Dad, you said about it, it would be gone in the morning, and it hasn't been gone. It hasn't gone yet. I said, I know. She said, so what's the deal? I said, the deal is we keep believing God. I said, I don't know. I don't know the answer. But that's what the Bible says. That's what I believe. So we're going to press on. She was like, okay. Now, it's painful. You think, well, you know. But what's the other option? You just dull the thing down. Dull the thing down. Because it's painful and it's, it, it's mysterious and it doesn't always, and you think, ah. Now, you might have a different line on it and I respect that. That's fine. But I'm just trying to share these things. You can't back off from... You can't, just, you can't just skip over the verses. That, well, that's not my experience at the moment, so I'll skip over that. Do we line up? Do we, do we, do we bend our theology to fit with our experience, which is what church, church, so many churches and Christians do, because it just gets too painful keep believing God? Or do you say, no, I'm going to come into this. I'm going to come into it. don't have all the answers, but the Bible says it's through faith and patience we inherit the promises. So I'm going to keep going and keep believing God. It's an interesting one, it's a painful one. But I'm not going to shrink back. I believe it's the word of God. I believe it's the word of God. I do, I know it is, I know it. (laughs) 
I've seen so many prayers answered as well. It's such a, so many wonderful victories, but there are these other things which just hang there over you, almost taunting you. You know what I mean? Saying, well, what about that? What about that? He said, I'm not going to let you rob me, rob me of what I know in God, and we're going to win, and we're going to come into it. So Jesus says, what, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus is very honest. He doesn't say, well, if you could just bless, bless the missionaries, Lord, around the world. That would be great. And your will be done. And uh, he says, I want to see. <laughs> I just want my sight back. It's not very spiritual, is it? It's like, I miss, I miss the sunsets. <laughs> I want to see him again. I miss looking at the faces of my loved ones. It's clear from the phraseology that he wasn't born blind. So he'd lost his, he'd lost his sight. An accident, cataracts, who knows? Let me recover my sight. I want it recovered. Let me recover my sight. I want it back. I don't like it. This lifestyle's horrible. And so it's just honest. He wants to see again. Are you honest with Jesus? You dress it up. Dress it up and just bless, bless everyone, Lord. <laughs> Be honest with him. So here's where my heart is at. If nothing else, it produces intimacy with the Lord. You might say, I was honest and I told him all about it and nothing changed. Well, at least you know, at least he knows you better. At least there's a relationship now, at least there's intimacy. There is no pain-free Christian life. There is no pain-free Christian life. It's not come to Jesus and everything's going to be fine. That's not how it works. It's come to Jesus, pick up your cross daily and deny yourself. It's going to hurt sometimes. It's painful sometimes. You've just got to have an open heart with the Lord and say, Lord, I'm just trusting that you're going to keep my heart. And he does. He does. Do you want recovery in certain areas? You think, I used to be in that place. I'm not there anymore. My heart's got hard. So I need to get back to where I was. Tell him. So I want to be back there, Lord. Show me the way back. We'll do it. He'll help us. And so finally, Jesus commends him for his faith and sends him on his way. I want to ask a question. When he says, your faith has healed you, what did he see about Bartimaeus that made him, made him see faith? What was it? I think it was the pressing through. If you look through the Gospels, it happens time and time again. You have the four friends carrying the friend who's paralysed, get to the house where Jesus is teaching, crowds too big, can't get in, and so they go up on the roof, bash the roof down and lower him down. You know the story, very famous. Jesus seeing their faith. You have the woman with the issue of blood. She's basically been on a constant period for the past 12 years. No one can help her. The doctors can't help her. She's spent all her money trying to get helped. She's not allowed even to touch Jesus. He's a rabbi. She's, she's ceremony, ceremony unclean. She's not allowed to do it. But she says, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. She presses through the crowd. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. It's the pressing through that demonstrates faith. The Syrophoenician woman, whose daughter's demonized, she comes to Jesus. I want, I want my daughter to be, to be free from, from this demonic uh, affliction. Now, she's a Gentile. In those days, the Jews called the Gentile, Gentiles dogs. There was this thing going on. Jesus, drawing her out, he says, but the bread is for the children. Not for the dogs. It's for the children. She says, yeah, but even the dogs get the crumbs. Jesus said, your faith has got what you wanted. It's the pressing through. It's the pressing through. It looks like, ah, it's not for me. See? Bartimaeus shouting out, shut up. It looks like, oh, it's not happening. He presses through. It's the faith. The four friends, it's not happening, there's a crowd, it's too big, let's go home. No, up the stairs, down the roof, bang, it's the faith. 
The woman with the issue of blood. It's, I'm unclean anyway. The crowd's too big. No, I'm pressing through. Bang, faith has healed you. There's a, something in faith which presses through. Sometimes it's aggressive. Sometimes it's uh, charging the thing. Big, loud prayers. Loud. Other times you're just saying, I'm not giving up. Not giving up. Not settling for what I know in my heart of hearts is mediocre. Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. It's how we get saved, isn't it? It's how we get saved. This God breaks into our life and suddenly we see it. The cross seems stupid. Suddenly we see this message, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And it beca- to us it's good news. It's like, wow, this is the best thing ever. And so we, and so we, we embark on a life of just throwing ourselves into Jesus. What a life. I mean, it's a scary life, isn't it, guys? It's a scary life. You just throw yourself in again and again. And you get disappointed there, and you throw, you come back, because you know that underneath are the everlasting arms. Yeah? Always. And when it seems like everything you was hoping for and hanging on, it doesn't come through, and you think, ah, donk. What's that? It's the everlasting arms. It's all right. And you get yourself up, you dust yourself off, and say, right, we'll go at it again. That's how we do it. That's the Christian life. If you're just trying to keep yourself from the pain of disappointment or unanswered prayer and just locking yourself away in this kind of thing, listen, what's the point? I mean, what is the point? I could not be motivated to come here on a Sunday morning and sing and pray if that's how I was living. What on earth would possess anyone to come to church who's living like this? Isn't the whole purpose of coming together together to celebrate the fact we're following Jesus? And half the time we don't know what the heck we're doing. <laughs> but we're trusting him. Yeah? And we're following him. And we're taking his lead. And we're figuring it out as we go. That we're willing to entrust ourselves entirely to him. That we go through the waters of baptism and say, I'm going to, I'm dying. I'm going to be buried with you, Jesus. Absolutely. I just want to be totally associated with you. Back up through the water. New life. It's just this whole, it's, I'm, I'm in with you. I'm, I've burnt my bridges. I'm following you. It's like when Jesus stepped up the teaching and said, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and thousands scattered. And he turned to the twelve and said, so are you going to go too? What did they say? Where else can we go? What can we do? You're the one with the words to eternal life. You see, they just said, no, we love the, we love the free bread and the free fish. We love that. But ultimately, we're about you, Jesus. That's why we're in this. And so as we come to know Christ through faith, he then begins to overhaul our whole value system. And we say, okay, I'm going to take this on. And he changes the way we think about money. And instead of being a slave of money, where we oh yeah, oh, living by anxious ways and constantly just more, more for me, more for me, just need a bit more, you know, you always will. You always will. Yeah. Instead of that, you say, no, I'm going to give. I'm going to give. I'm going to, bl- I'm going to if I see a need, I'm going to bless it. I'm not going to live under that fear, under that slave system, that consumerism thing. I'm going to give. I'm going to give, give to the church. I'm going to give to needs where I see it. I'm going to invest in the kingdom. Sex, have our, our values, just overhauled on that. Why? Because we're joined with Christ. We're alive in faith. So I'm going to think this one through. How do I relate now to the opposite sex? How do I conduct myself? What do I watch? What don't I watch? Because I'm joined with Christ. And so this faith is driving me. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to let him overhaul and revolutionise everything, trusting that as I do that, what comes back will be better than anything I've ever had. When it comes to relationships and attitude, everything getting revolutionised through our relationship in Christ. We invest ourselves entirely in his mission. We get involved entirely in what he's doing. We sign up to the kingdom. We make sacrifices. We pour ourselves out because we believe that it's more blessed to give than receive. Yeah, It's faith 
That's what can make it. Sometimes you might think, I've got nothing left in me to give. I just want to receive. Jesus. But then what does faith say? Faith says this. It's more blessed to give than receive. So I'm going to believe that and I'm going to give again. I believe. It's not legalism. It's I believe. I believe there's a greater blessing for me in giving because I believe the word. And it happens. And it doesn't always happen first time. And you find people saying, yeah, I tried that, it didn't work. Why do you think it was that Jesus specifically many times told parables on prayer for the sole reason, it says in the Bible, that they would not give up? Because you go sometimes and you bang, and you think that was meant to fall down. According to the promise, it's still standing. And that didn't work. No, <laughs> you pick it up and you bang it again. You bang it again. You hear a slight creaking sound. You say, hold on. Because although you can't actually see, you're banging the thing down. That's what faith does. So really, just to, just, to, just to sum up, right? The life of faith is dangerous, it's hard work, and there's traps everywhere. <laughs> there is. Temptations, trials, pressures. It's following Jesus. That's following Jesus. If that's not for you, that's your call. Don't follow him. It's your decision. No one's going to make you or coerce you into doing it. Jesus was very, very upfront about that. This is the deal. This is what it's going to mean. Joy everlasting. Peace without compare. Clean conscience. Forgiveness. Relationship with God. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's not the easy life. And you can't bring the two together and say, well, let's just try I like the idea of merging. <laughs> let's merge. We'll have the forgiveness and the clean conscience, but we'll merge it with kind of serving myself and living, living for me. Don't work. Can't do it. Two kingdoms. You'll end up loving one and hating the other. Jesus said that. It's very, very clear. And so those of us that are strangers on the earth, aliens, the Bible describes us as strangers and aliens. We don't belong here. Sometimes we think, I can't, this is hard. I just want to assimilate. I want to just stop being different and just assimilate with the crowd. But we can't. Why? Because we're born again. Born of the Spirit. I can't pretend we are not what we are. Eh? Jesus has changed our lives. He's, he's, he's opened our eyes to the kingdom. And we're after the kingdom, aren't we? Don't you want the kingdom of God? The Bible says through much tribulation you enter the kingdom. That word means pressure. And we want the power, don't we? Yeah. We want the lives changed. We want the fruit. We want all that. It's through much pressure. You walk through it. You walk through it. You don't flint. You don't give way. You say, I'm going to keep walking. And when you can't walk anymore, you say, I'm not going to walk backwards, I'll stand still. <laughs> yeah, I won't give in. And, then, and bang, the, the intensity wavers, and you think, right, crack on again there, bang. And other times you run, and you think, whoa, and sometimes you even fly. You had those seasons? You think, wow, this is great. If only it could always be like this. <laughs> you know? It will be one day. Hallelujah. It will be one day. When he comes back again, we'll be flying forever. You up for that? Yeah. Hallelujah. You should be. But we begin to bear through intimacy, effectiveness for Jesus. It's all there for us. But I want to just issue a call today to you guys. Follow Jesus. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. It's not boring. It's scary sometimes. It's not the easy way. But it's the best way. Jesus described it as life to the full. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I want to just thank you for how authentic and real you are with us. I want to thank you, Lord, that you... You don't deceive us. You don't say, oh, you know, it's gonna be, it's, you know, there'll be no problems. You just, you're straight with us. But you also say, never will I leave you. 
never will I forsake you. And I thank you that you're with us today. I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that you've called us by name. I thank you for breaking into each one of our lives, Lord, each one of us here that knows you, you've broken in. You've broken in. We're we're ruined for anything else now, Lord. We're ruined for anything else. We say we want to see your kingdom advance around here. Oh, God, we long to see people saved. We long to see lives changed. God, we long to see uh, oppression and injustice broken over people's lives and communities. God, we long, we long for your kingdom to come. We long to see this church established in the community, Lord God, in a way that just impacts the community. We long for it, Lord. We long for your kingdom to come. And I want to thank you for the privilege of being brought out from simply serving ourselves and seeing ourselves as the number one thing and being brought into the real picture, the true story. Hallelujah. Thank you for the glory of being involved in what you're doing. And I want to pray for robust faith and strength to rest on us today. I pray for all those who are just feeling the pressure, finding it hard. I want to ask Lord God for an impartation of faith today. Fresh faith. Fresh faith would come. Even as we praise and worship and love you, I pray faith will rise. I pray it, Lord, you would lift our heads to the the wonderful view of you. You would fill our gaze again. Oh God, fill our gaze, I pray. Fill our gaze, I pray, Lord, that we will be caught up with you again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.